we are in a series called Too Good to Be True. We're looking at some of the questions that you might have about the faith, or maybe your friends and neighbours have about faith. And so far, we've looked at whether Christianity still matters in this day and age. You know, it was done back in the days when the wheel was a, a technological marvel. How can it still be relevant in the age of AI and Facebook and satellite TV and all that kind of stuff? We've looked at whether we can trust the Bible, and we've looked at whether all faiths lead to God or not. And you can listen back on the podcast. The um, church podcast is up to date, even with last week's message. And if you know that your friends have got questions... If maybe one of your friends or your colleagues has asked you one of those questions already or one of the questions that's coming, you can point them at the recording. I mean, give, maybe give it a listen first, make sure I didn't make any mistakes. But you can share it with them and they can listen and then maybe they can come and join us and taste and see for themselves that God is good like we've tasted this morning. Now for this week, I want to open up with what I hope is a really easy question. Do you believe that Christianity has done good in the world? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we're all in this room on a Sunday morning when we absolutely could be lying, having a nice, lazy morning. We're here for a reason, yeah? Because we believe that God is good. So as a follow-up question then, have you ever heard someone claim that Christianity has caused problems in the world? Maybe they've been really, really almost angry about it. One of the things I, I remember hearing people talk about before is, um, you know, for, say, for a God they don't claim to believe in, atheists sure are angry at him. Some say that religion in general, and sometimes Christianity in particular, has caused nothing but harm. That it's the cause of arguments, division, bigotry, wars, pain and suffering. Maybe we'd be better off casting all religions, including Christianity, into the sea and living free from superstition and fear. You know, what would we really be losing? Nothing good. Religion just causes problems. What good is it? Well, how can we answer it? Well, the worst thing we can do is kind of wave our hands and say, no, there's nothing to see here. There's no bad stuff. There's no truth in any of these accusations. Because sadly, church history and the modern day church have examples of the church behaving badly. For example, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's almost the most famous example of the church behaving badly. If you're being asked questions, uh, if you're being kind of drilled for maybe a story that doesn't quite add up, everyone usually kind of says, wait, I didn't expect a Spanish Inquisition. And of course, the ridiculousness of the rack and the, the dish rack and trying to turn it to do the torture. The Spanish Inquisition was a really bad time. And do you know what? There have been times where the church has wielded ungodly power to enforce conformity to doctrine. We can try and deny it, but people know it's true. Sometimes it has leveraged physical torture. Sometimes it's been the threat of excommunication if people don't fall in line, like Galileo, who dared to believe that maybe the Earth rotates and orbits around the sun. The Catholic Church of his day said, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. They're wrong, by the way. But that's not what the Bible says. You fall in line or you're out. There have been wars that seem to be basically religious in nature. Crusades. 
You've got French wars of religion in the 16th century. The English Civil War was at least partially religiously motivated because you had the, the Parliament, the, um, the Roundhead, the Cavaliers. You can tell I gave up history at year nine. You had the Cavaliers who were on the side of the Catholic King. And then you had the Roundheads who were broadly speaking Protestants and Puritans. So there was that religious element there. You got the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Catholic and Protestant again at loggerheads for territory. You've got televangelists and prosperity teachers who become obsessed with money and then come up with increasingly creative ways to part the faithful from their money to fund their lavish lifestyles like a private jet. Who needs a private jet to do ministry? You don't need a private jet, but they do it. There have been in recent years a seemingly increasing number of scandals in church leadership. I'd say the number of books I've had to consider removing from my shelf because the author has turned out to be some kind of bully or pervert or someone who is manipulative and domineering is concerning. There's hypocrisy that is rife with, um, who remembers Jesus, he knows me by Genesis. Do you know that song? It's all about the televangelists. He's mocking the American televangelists. And there's this line in it. And I can still picture him in the music video, surrounded by women in bikinis in a jacuzzi, going, just do as I say, don't do as I do. It's hypocrisy. In recent years, the Catholic Church has been involved in baby trafficking through its adoption agencies. There was a, a drama series about it on the BBC, The Woman in the Wall. But the, and that, that it's fiction, but it's based upon actual cases where convents would help quote-unquote, single mothers, and then claim that the baby has died while selling it on to a family that want to adopt a baby. That's the church. We have a reputation, whether justly or not, of being gossipy and judgmental. We still remember the episode of The Simpsons where um, Reverend Lovejoy's wife introduces herself as, Hi, I'm Helen Lovejoy, the um, pastor's gossipy wife. Tell your secrets at your peril. There is undeniable bad in our history that we have to reckon with one way or another. So how can we answer the charges? Well, the first thing we can say is that the bad is in spite of Jesus, not because of Jesus. Amen? In terms of um, many of the things I've just mentioned are directly contradicted by Jesus' teaching and his example. So in the terms of the use of violence to further the kingdom of God, like it would have been in the crusade. Jesus ruled it out the day Peter tried to um, fight off the temple guards in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cuts off the ear, do you remember? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. That is not how we do things in my kingdom. And he heals the guy's ear and the ear grows back. Jesus taught us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us, not go to war against them. He taught us to turn and offer the other cheek if someone slaps that one. Jesus modelled welcome, grace and forgiveness. He went to parties with those that the religious world said were unacceptable sinners and the tax collectors. He spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, breaking several cultural taboos in one conversation. He was confronted with a woman in adultery in John chapter 8. And instead of joining in the crowd who wanted to accuse her, because she was undeniably guilty, he says, hang on a minute. The one of you who doesn't have any sin, you can cast the first stone. 
he himself had no sin. But does he cast the stone? No, he gives forgiveness and then says, don't do it anymore. It's not good for you. But he gives forgiveness. People who were repelled by the temple and the synagogues were attracted to Jesus. That's part of the reason that the temple and religious authorities got jealous of Jesus. Because they liked him. See, where the church has failed the world, it has first of all failed Jesus himself. True? That's the way of things. Now, there is also this, this side of it where some of the bad stuff is exaggerated or maybe slightly edited. And here you get into some historical debates. But the Crusades, for example, the number of times people bring up the Crusades as if the church was the antagonist, when actually the church was responding to um, some Muslims from Turkey invading Jerusalem and beginning to block and persecute those making pilgrimage. Now, did the church do the right thing in response? I would say no. But did they start it? No. <coughs> now, some of the bad stuff is simply that we live in an imperfect and fallen world, and the church is not immune from that. People are people, and they treat each other badly. Religious wars predate Christianity. It isn't that Christianity came along and did the first religious war. No, that's not how it was. Religious wars were a feature of ancient near-Middle near Eastern um, society. Even today, there is intra-Islamic wars and conquests between different tribes of Islam, for example. We hear all about what's going on in Israel, but all over the Middle East, there is Islam on Islam violence and aggression. You've got the way that Islam itself spread throughout the Middle East, not by preaching, but by the sword. Sometimes, if you scratch the surface, you find that rigid religion wasn't the only or even the main driver of some of the problems we've talked about. Think about the Northern Ireland um, situation in recent history. It's easy to say it's religious, it's Catholic versus Protestant, but it's actually political. It's the Republic of Ireland and people who are aligned with the Republic of Ireland in Northern Ireland wanting to break away from England and have a united Ireland versus the people who have got kind of English ancestry living in Northern Ireland wanting to remain loyal to the United Kingdom and the Queen and the, and the Crown. It's really political. It just so happens that the political parties fall along religious lines as well. For all of people like Richard Dawkins' vitriol against the evils of religion, I find it interesting that actually, far and away, the worst ideology in terms of persecution, torture, murder, were the atheistic communist states of the 20th century. China, the Soviet Republic, they were atheistic. Now, if you point that out to an atheist, they will say, no, but that wasn't because of the atheism. That was because of some other factor. Well, at least give us the grace to say that's the same thing about all the religious wars then. It wasn't actually the religion. But it's even worse because in the case of Soviet Russia and Chairman Mao, they were explicitly going after the church because they wanted to outlaw any competition against the atheistic state. They wanted to get rid of all of the fairy tales of religion and yesterday. And that's why they went after Christians in the church. 
So some of the bad stuff is just because the world is imperfect and it's all over and it isn't just Christianity. Some of the bad stuff is because there is such a thing as false Christians and false churches. In Matthew 13, this is going to be very familiar to Roger who shared this last summer, there is a parable. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? So where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, because when you pull up the weeds, you must also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles. Hmm? IT is not my friend today. Gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat into my barn. See, Jesus taught us that there are going to be false Christians planted alongside the true. There are going to be weeds alongside the wheat, and that's going to be this way until the end of the world. And he returns and he makes the harvest and he can then make that discernment and judgment of what is a weed and what is a wheat. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. There are people who claim the name of Jesus who Jesus doesn't know. And for all that they do wondrous things like prophesying and driving out demons and miracles, they're not his. There are false Christians and false churches. I believe ever since Constantine, Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, he saw a vision of a cross and told that the Roman army should put that cross on their banners and on their shields and then would have the victory. And at that point is when Christianity, for the first time ever, became the official religion of a state. Ever since then, I would personally say that religion has wielded political power in a way that has compromised the purity of the gospel. I don't think it's the way Jesus wanted it to be. So some of the bad stuff is because there are false Christians and false churches. Some of it is because actually there are true Christians who are also imperfect and just fail to embody all that Jesus and the apostles taught us. Wouldn't it be lovely if you became a Christian and like that, you were perfect? I'd love it. No more problems, no more sins. I've never put a foot wrong. I don't have to apologize to anyone because I've got nothing to apologize for because I've been perfect. I'm not saying that's the case, far from it. It would be lovely if that was the case, but it isn't. We still struggle with temptation, with sin, with brokenness that can harm those around us. You know, the, the ichthus badges, the fish badges that people put on their car. There was one time I was in a Christian bookshop with my dad. And my dad wanted to get one. I don't know if he was being serious or joking, but I said, I'll let you get one if you can also get a bumper sticker that says I'm forgiven, not perfect. Because I know the way my dad used to drive. He's changed, but I know the way he used to drive. You see, 
we are not perfect. We have received forgiveness. And even here, the Bible promises that there is going to be justice. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, we all sat here for all that we have put our trust in Jesus Christ and we are secure and safe. There is a sense in which some of the things we do wrong will get reviewed. We don't need to worry or despair necessarily, because in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul also says this, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one needs to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. You see, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, only as through fire. See, that those things that we do, because we are still imperfect Christians that hurt people and put them off the gospel will get reviewed. And it might be that those elements of what we offer get burnt up and we don't receive the reward. We'll still receive reward for other things that we've managed to build with gold, silver, precious stones, but we will feel a little bit of loss for some of that stuff. So there will be justice. I think that's good news. So, We've talked about how we can handle the bad, but we've got the other part of the question. What good has Christianity done? Well, I think, and I'm not alone here, the Western world would look very different if it hadn't been for Jesus and his teaching passed down through Christianity. There's a, a secular historian called Tom Holland. Heard of him? Not the Marvel actor. He, they get confused all the time, apparently. Um, he is a he's a secular historian from Britain, and he's written a book called Dominion. And that book charts the influence that Christianity has had on Western culture. He started writing the book because he started looking in his work as a historian at the Roman society. And he, he just said about the Romans, I came to feel that they were increasingly alien, increasingly frightening to me think about the classics and the, the Greeks, you've got Aristotle, that famous philosopher who advocated for babies being, who were born with a disabled, uh, some kind of deformity or some kind of limitation that was obvious. Do you know what he wanted them to, people to do? Abandon them out in the wild so that they can, maybe the gods will have mercy, so you know, you're not guilty of their, their life being taken, but leave them. You don't have to take that on. Sparta, at least, made it a decision for the town council. I'm not sure if that makes it better or worse, actually. <laughs> this is the culture that Christianity came into. And the fact that we find that horrific shows the difference that Christianity made. 
See, Tom Holland's view is that even those areas of our society that we typically think of as non-Christian or anti-Christian, actually, if you trace the roots of those values and thoughts, find their roots in Christianity. Glenn Scrivener makes a very similar claim in his book, The Air We Breathe. He looks at seven secular values prized in Britain today and shows how they have their roots in biblical teaching and values. He looks at the values of equality, compassion, consent, enlightenment, science, freedom, and progress. And he makes the case in his book that we only have those seven values that are held sacrosanct in British society because Christianity formed the culture of the UK. Christianity hadn't done that, we would not hold those things dear. They are not self-evident. You can see these values through the initiatives and services that the church provided. Hospitals began as a charitable work that monasteries and convents used to offer the sick who couldn't afford a physician. They would take in sick people and they would nurse them during the time of the Black Plague. It was the church, it was the convents and the monasteries that took the people with the plague in and did what they could to either alleviate their suffering or treat them so that maybe they would get better. In Roman times, Christians became famous for staying behind when a plague hit a town, looking after the people who were sick and dying. And actually, people noticed they don't catch that plague. Maybe there's something to this miracle-working Jesus that they're talking about. Universities and schools were initially set up to study the queen of the sciences, which is theology. That is why we have a university system today. It started out to study the majesty of God and then started adding on other subjects and other sciences, etc. You got the way that the Christian faith undermines slavery right from the first century. The book of Philemon is Paul very, very subtly undermining slavery. You've got charities and alms, you know, the, the charitable um, process where we actually give of ourselves to help those in need. The church led the way. You can still see it today in food banks. They are church-run places where those who need food, because they haven't got enough, can go and get it. You've got Christian entrepreneurs caring for their staff members. Who know that Cadbury, one of the best bits of chocolate in the world, the Cadbury family was a Christian family. There is a place, a suburb of Birmingham, where he set up his factory called Bourneville. And that is a village that he built for his workers to have a good place to live. At his cost. Christian love in action. You've got women's rights having their roots in the way that Jesus and Paul treated women. Science has its root in Christian faith. The Christian faith has inspired art, music, literature, culture. And why did they do all this? Because of Jesus. He came to serve, and so he sends his people to serve. He came to heal, so he sends his people to heal. He came to teach, so he sends his people to teach. He came to save so he sends his people to save. He came doing good, and so he sends his people to do good. You see, he did it for us, and then turns us around to go and do it for others. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, he can do it for you, and then turn you around and do it for others 
by seeing that he came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live because we've already talked about the bad that we bring. But he went to the cross with his perfect life and he exchanged his perfect life for our imperfect life. That death that we deserve because of the things we've done wrong, he took upon his shoulders. The weight of sin that we carried, he carried upon himself. So that by looking to him and saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for doing that for me. We can find forgiveness and life and peace and hope and the goodness that we desire. If we look away from the grand scale or the big picture, Rebecca McLaughlin in Confronting Christianity talks about some of the positive effects that practicing faith has upon individuals. Talks about there's a uh, public health professor, Tyler Vanderweel, and a journalist, John Sinnett, who in an article said, if you could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? And in the same article, they go on to point out how the mortality rate of patients who have some sort of active living faith, who are part of a church community, reduces by 20 to 30 percent over a 15 year period. Research suggests that those who regularly attend services are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, and are more self-controlled. I can't go into it because we are running a little bit late, but McLaughlin goes on to note the benefits of seven biblical principles. Those seven principles are, it really is more blessed to give than receive. Love of money disappoints. Work works only when it is a calling. We really can be happy in all circumstances. Gratitude is good for us. Self-control and perseverance help us thrive. And forgiveness is foundational. Those seven biblical principles, she cites a whole bunch of research that backs it up as this is a good way for people to live. Almost if disregard the fact that it, whether it's true or not, it works. It helps people. So I hope that you have seen through some of what I've shared today, imperfectly though it may be, hampered and affected by technology as it may have been, I hope you've seen that although religion has caused problems, including the Christian faith, we don't get off scot-free. It is not all bad news. In fact, I believe the world would be significantly worse without Jesus and the faith and the relationship with him that he came to bring. See, he came doing good and to save us, and he then calls us to join him in his work. Any failure to represent him well is not his fault. It's our fault. And the people involved will answer for it. There is justice. But we can commit ourselves and pledge our allegiance to him. We can get to know him as our saviour, lord and friend. And we can do it trusting that he will do us good and then turn us around and lead us out to do good ourselves. Amen? Just like every other week, 
There are some books you can look up if you want to look, dig into a little bit more. The one on the left there is The Air We Breathe by Glenn Scrivener, um, where he's looking at those seven uh, cultural values that are held up as kind of secular truths that are self-evident, and then they turn it to criticize the church. He looks at how it is based on Christian values. You've got Tom Holland, which is not a Christian book, but it is uh, looking at how the Christian faith has utterly influenced the making of the Western world. And then, again, I've mentioned it every week, but Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin is just a fantastic book and answers 12 of the hardest questions you might come against in, um, when you start talking to people about your faith. It's well worth getting a copy of that and reading it. It will help give you confidence in your faith. It will help you give you some sort of pointer to the answers that you can give your friends. Said a few times, but the last Sunday on the 18th of February, we, I'm not going to bring a question. You're going to bring your questions. Some of you have already given them, but if you have a question that you want us to try and answer in slightly less detail than I've done this one, let us know ahead of time and then I can make sure that I've got some sort of answer. Likewise, I can live dangerously, and that's absolutely fine. Shall we pray? Fill in the band if you come up for the last song. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that if we're looking at whether you've made a difference in the world, if we're looking at whether you've done any good in the world, we can say unequivocally, yes. You have made this world better. And Lord, when you come back, when you return, you will make the world better perfect. There will be no more stain of the bad stuff we've been thinking about. Lord, your people will be set free from every sense of sin and wrongdoing, and there will just be life, love, peace, healing, goodness forevermore. Lord, I want to pray for us as we go out that you would make us witnesses, Lord, in the way that you have done us good and then turn us out to go and do good. I pray that would be our experience this week. Lord, that we would spot opportunities to get alongside our friends, our neighbours, the people that we know and that we love and do them good, Lord Jesus, in your name so that people would see your goodness through us. Send us out, Lord Jesus, in the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.